And so in working through this, this book of the Bible, we have looked at some different aspects of the book so far. And so the Apostle Paul is more than likely in prison at the time, and he's writing to the church in Colossae. And for Paul, this is a church that he had never been to. He never visited. He only knew a few of the people in the church. But some things were coming up in the church that were alarming to him, so much so that he wrote a letter and said, guys, we need to get some things clarified. What do we believe? What are we saying? And so this is uh, part five of an eight-part series that we're in, and we will be in the second chapter of Colossians. Now, one of the things that we are going to talk about today is identity. This part has a lot to do with identity. Now, we all have a number of different identities that we assume throughout our lives, different things that we attach to ourselves. And so we're just going to kind of look at a few of the identities that we happen to have for ourselves. So for some of us, there is this identity of this, the world's greatest mother. Okay. Now, if you would be wearing this, you would happen to be my wife. But that is one identity that we assume. We also assume other identities like family dollar. Okay. You may be, you may work hard at your job. You may be proud of the things that you've been able to accomplish through hard work, pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. There's things that we attach to ourselves. Do you know what? I am a hard worker. I sacrifice everything for the sake of the company. I, I do whatever I can. I have vacation days I don't take because I need to be there for the company. So that would be another identity that we would assume, a workplace identity. Maybe for some of us, it's also a USA, the nationality thing, okay? This is who I am. I'm American. When I go places, other countries, whatever it be, I wear this as a badge of pride because we're better than everyone else, right? But that was a joke. So, so we wear that, and that's important to us. Some of us have that. Other identities like, for instance, sports. Holy cow, the Cubs win. Okay? Wow. It's amazing. It doesn't happen very often, but when we do, we make T-shirts about it and celebrate it. That's how, that's how rare it is. Okay? We also have other identities like party time, Coors Light, live, staff, okay? This would be a lifestyle. This would be something that I, I say, hey, I am this kind of guy or this kind of girl. I like to party. I like to throw a few back, whatever it is. But this is the kind of lifestyle that I've chosen to live. And so I associate myself with that lifestyle, okay? Now, in looking at this... Our identity for us, a lot of times, is more than just a label, isn't it? It's more than just a label. It does a number of things in us and through us, this identity that we, different identities that we keep. So first off, it does this. It directs what we do. Identity for us directs what we do. Now, if I'm the Coors Light guy, therefore I spend a lot of time at the club or at the bar. I drink only Coors Light. I do these certain things that line up with the lifestyle that in a sense that I've chosen or the, the thing that I've attached myself to. 
Or maybe it's also not only directs what we do, but also determines lifestyle choices. So therefore, because I am successful at business and I am hardworking, therefore I need to, to show everyone else the level of success that I've achieved. So that would be I need to have a boat, a nice house, a couple of cars, whatever that is, to, in a sense, to show everyone else that, hey, I'm a hard worker. I've made it in this life. I've done some really good things. I've made wise decisions. And this isn't a slam on these things. This is just saying, this is just an observation of these things, okay? So it directs what we do, can determine lifestyle choices, but it can also defend or disregard actions as well. So let's say the Cubs guy over here gets married to the world's greatest mom person over here, okay? So the world's greatest mom comes to her husband, the, the Cubs fan, and says, why did you spend $500 on Cubs tickets this month? You know that we don't have the money. And I need to sign my kids up for piano lessons, soccer practice, and horseback riding lessons, and advanced geometry, biosynthetic chemistry um, tutoring lessons so they can get into a good college. Okay? And the Cubs guy over here says, hey, Cubs made the playoffs. Okay? And I need to spend this money. It's not like they get swept out of the playoffs every year, okay? Now remember, it's all hypothetical. It's never happened before. But it does for us, it does defend the actions that we take, doesn't it? Because I am this way, therefore I do these things, make these decisions, okay? Now there's identities that we can change. And there's also identities that we cannot change. So you may be a war veteran cancer survivor. You may be Hispanic. You may be Dutch. I'm Dutch. My wife is Hispanic. When we, when the families get together, when I go over to her house with her family, it's just a big love fest. Everyone's hugging and kissing. And it's just, you know, in, in our family and in, in my Dutch heritage, people don't hug and kiss at all. We don't touch each other. We have space. There's boundaries. You know, it's just the way it is. And so when I go over there, it's just it's like, whoa, hey, what's going on here? You know, everyone's all over me and stuff. Everyone's in my face. And you know what? That's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But there's things that we can't change. But there's also an identity that the Apostle Paul, in his book to the Colossians, begins to assign for us. And that we all fall into this identity, all of humanity. Now, let's look what he says in the second chapter of Colossians, verses 11 through 15. We're just going to pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand the scriptures so that we can begin to apply it into our lives and begin to see the fruit of what the Lord has done through us in his word. Okay, so, Lord, we come before you today. And we ask for you to help us as we go through your word. We ask that you would begin to speak to us, begin to reveal yourself to us. And I pray that you would help us to not only understand, but put into practice the things that you are revealing to us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word directs us, leads us, and guides us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the second chapter of Colossians, starting 
verse 11. We'll read through verse 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through the through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And for us, this passage of Scripture not only describes us, but it also talks about an identity that we are unable to change. And this identity is very pervasive. No area of our lives that this identity assigns to us is unaffected. It, it affects our relationships, our work, our lifestyles, family life. It's all affected. This identity is like, like dust on a gravel road that you are driving your car down and you got the windows down and you can't go fast enough for that dust not to catch up to your car. Because as soon as you begin to slow down, that dust comes forward and just fills the car. And weeks later, this dust is in every nook and cranny in your car. It fills everything. And this identity that Paul begins to talk about for us fills every area of our lives. And this identity is found in verse 13. The first half of verse 13, this is the identity that we have been assigned to. It says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, Dead in your trespasses, dead in our sin. Trespass is another word for sin. Dead in sin. What verse 11 calls the body of flesh or the sin nature that dwells within us. That is who we are. So Paul begins to assign this identity to us and says, we all fall in this category. And not only does this category identify who we are, but just like the other ways that the other identities affect our lives, this also directs what we do. We are powerless to resist sin. The Bible says we are controlled by it. Heather, if you just write these down. These are the things that this identity directs us to do. Anger. Lust. Pride. Greed. Hatred. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. Selfishness. These are the things that this nature directs us to do. But not only does that, but it also determines our lifestyles. So we pursue and follow and are consumed by, not with what God wants for our lives, but what do I want for my life? What do I want to do? Is it good for me? What's in it for me? How do I feel? Instead of asking the question, what does God want? So this, this lifestyle choices that we make are all consumed by myself and me instead of what God wants. 
And not only does it determine lifestyle, but also defends or disregards actions. We see this in the very beginning. When God comes to Adam after Adam and Eve ate of the the fruit of the tree that they were not allowed to eat, God comes to Adam and says, Adam, why have you eaten this fruit? And instead of owning up and saying, yes, I did this, says, no, 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 no. It's because of the woman that you gave me. So instead, he points the finger back to God and says, God, it's your fault. You shouldn't have given me this woman in the first place. You did this. He's defending his action from the very beginning. And we do this all the time. Say things like, you would have done the same thing if you were in my place. Hey, I'm not different from anybody else. So we identify ourselves in that as well. But with this identity, which is a little bit different from these other identities, it not only controls us, but it damns us as well. This is a much more serious identity. This is a heavy, weighty identity. Verse 14 says this. It, talking about sin, it said it stood against us with its legal demands. Not only controls what we do, but it controls our eternal destiny is affected. It's so pervasive that its shockwaves are sent into eternity. So this isn't just some kind of identity that we can change when we want to. Just get a new one. This is a powerful identity that Paul says affects all of us. Now, here's the thing about this passage of Scripture. This passage of Scripture, is, it's good to remember this, that although it addresses our identity, the, the primary emphasis of this scripture is not on us, but it's on Christ. So what Paul does is he begins to say, here's what you were. However, let's look at who Christ is, what Christ has done. Because Paul's writing to a church that was, whose identity was being challenged to the core. Everything about them was being challenged. You had legalists who were coming in and saying, you need to observe food regulations and these observe festivals and and, and new moons, and, and all these things in order to be right with God. And so you need to follow this pattern of way of life and do all these, and do and don't do all these things. And we, we do this today. We say things like, well, as long as the good outweighs the bad, if you drink or smoke, you're going to hell. So there's things, hey, if you do these things, you're okay. If you don't do these things, you're okay. whatever it is, we set up all these rules and regulations for ourselves. Then you also have the Gnostics who are coming in, challenging the church. They were saying things like, hey, you don't necessarily really know what's going on, do you? But we've been enlightened. We know the truth. Truth isn't found in Scripture. It's found in a higher enlightenment, a higher stage of being. And so to really know the truth, you need to have an experience like we have. And so they say, we, they'd say things like, God is just in your mind. You need to know the truth for yourself. All roads, in a sense, lead to God, but it, it's on a path of enlightenment. There's a lot of different ways that these Gnostics were coming in and challenging the church, saying, hey, the things that you first believed aren't true because there's another thing going on. And it's if Paul looks around at the landscape of the church and see these guys coming in, attacking the church, attacking their identity to the core and says, stop, enough. 
Let's look at what Christ has done. Let's look at who Christ is. This focus is not on ourselves. It says the focus needs to be on Christ. And now so for us, we are going to turn to look at what Christ has done. We're going to start in verse 11. For everyone who's thirsty out there, watch me take a nice cold drink of water. It's not easy. Starting in verse 11, it says this. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is not a cutting away of skin that this is talking about. This is the violent stripping away of Christ's body on the cross. This is a metaphor for Christ's death on the cross. Christ's body was circumcised from him on the cross. Now in him, we are able to spiritually share in his death. And it says for us, the sin nature is then cut away. We died to this former way of life. So it's not necessarily talking about just a cutting away of flesh. This is a death on the cross. This is a death. Verse 12 says this, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through, the, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Is buried in baptism. Christ not only died on the cross and was put in the grave, but baptism for us is an understanding of not only being put under water, but it's this, it's an identification with Christ. It's an identification with Christ. When we, when we are baptized, it is saying we identify ourselves with Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Our identity is rooted in him. And so baptism is a way in which we bury the old self. And it says this, um, this quote by Peter O'Brien says, As the burial of Christ set the seal upon his death, so the Colossians' burial with him in baptism shows that they were truly involved in his death and laid in his grave. It is not as though they simply died like Jesus died or were buried as he was laid in the tomb. The burial proves that the real death has occurred and the old life is now a thing of the past. Not only has there been a death of the old self, but the sin nature, which was a vehicle for sin in our lives, has been rendered inoperative, never to dominate our lives again. Now, verse 13, so we have a death, a burial, and now in verse 13 we have this. And you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This for us is talking about resurrection life. That Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, was buried, but he rose again. This is resurrection life. Resurrection life is not just some future event that we hope for. Resurrection life is now. It's a way now that we can experience the life of Christ in our life. The great Easter truth is not that there was a death, but that there was a resurrection. That's why we celebrate Easter. There is a resurrection that happens. 
And now we're set free to serve God and live for him. We are raised to new life with purpose. And that purpose is to live for God. What that means for us is this, that we are to daily reckon that we have died with Christ and that we were buried with him and that we were resurrected with him. And this should fill our thinking so that it dominates our being. That for us, this should fill our thinking. When we think about Easter, when we think about living, when we think about who we are, this identification with Jesus Christ, what he has done, his death and burial and resurrection should dominate ourselves. So how does all this happen? How am I identified with Christ? How can I be identified? How can I identify myself with Christ in those things? In verse 12b, it says this. It says, through faith in the powerful working of God. It's this believing that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was for my sin. That his perfect obedience in life to the Father and his death, burial, and resurrection was for my sin, for what I have done. It says through faith, believing in that. And in that, we are now identified in and with Christ. You're going to see in the... In, in, the, in the book of Colossians, this theme that runs through it, it's in and with Christ. This, these in Christ and with Christ. It runs throughout the book. And if you heard me reading it, trying to highlight those things, as you begin to read through Colossians, look, every time it's, it's in Christ, it's with Christ, it's in Christ, it's with Christ. And so for us, this is where it identifies us in Christ, with Christ. So now we have a new identity. A new identity for us. When we begin, when we put our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, his death and burial and resurrection, new life, a new identity. This is what a new identity looks like for us, okay? Verse 13, the last half of verse 13 says this, And you, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How did God not only change our identity, but completely wipe away sin and guilt and shame from the past? How did God do that? Verse 14 for us is the key. This is how God did that. This is what God has done. It is by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The identity that dominated and controlled and imprisoned us, this sin nature, this, this dead in sin that dominated and controlled us, that, that determined our actions and lifestyle and, and directed us and, and, and everything that we did and all these things. God said he did this. He changed it. Not only changed it, but he completely wiped away our past and he did it this way. He took these things, it says, in verse 14. And he took it, and he went to the cross. He said he nailed it to the cross. 
Not only did he disarm those things in our lives, but in that he also disarmed all the powers of hell. Verse 15 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by the triumphing over them in Christ, in him. And he says, not only has, has your identity been changed in the future has been changed for you because you're no longer controlled and dominated by these things. He says, your past is completely wiped away. When I nailed my son to the cross, all these things that once identified us, he says, completely washed away, cleansed away, never to be brought up again, dead, gone, forgiven. And you can understand why Paul would then look around at the legalists and the Gnostics who are trying to offer some way of salvation through observing some festivals and some food practices and the Gnostics who are offering some kind of special experience that would get you to heaven. And he would say, look at what Christ has done. Is there any comparison to what you have in Christ? Look what Jesus Christ has done. Is there anything to compare to that? Is there any experience? Is there any regulation that can compare to Christ? He said, there's nothing. It doesn't even come close to what you have in Christ Jesus. Nothing comes close. So in view of this truth, why would we then look to anyone or anything else but Christ for fullness of life. Why would we try to find life in other things? And so for us, we want to absolutely want to play sports. We want to work hard at our jobs and do well. We want to raise a family, take vacations, love our spouse. But ultimately, ultimately, we don't look for life or fulfillment in these things because they'll only disappoint us. We were made to be fulfilled and have life in Christ Jesus alone. And that for us is where we find life. And so I want to ask us a couple of questions to consider before we, before we take communion as a, as a church. The first question I have is this. Have you been identified with Christ? Have you trusted and had faith in Jesus Christ that his work on the cross, his death, his burial, and resurrection was for my sin and for me. Have you trusted in Christ for that? Have you allowed God to take these things that once dominated and controlled our lives and nail it to the cross of Jesus Christ to be forever forgotten? You can do that today. We can come to a place where we say, yes, Jesus, I trust that. Those things identify me. And I believe that you can change those things forever. But for those of us who say, you know what, I have identified, that would, that would describe me. I want to ask us this question. Are you trying to find fulfillment in anything else besides Jesus Christ? Are you trying to find fulfillment in a job, in a relationship, in a hobby, in anything else. Are we trying to find life in anything else? And so we're going to ask the Lord to search our hearts. Say, Lord, is that the case? This is a very serious question. Because for us, it does this. 
if we are trying to find life in other things, if we are trying to find life in our job, in a relationship, sports, whatever it is, are we not doing the same thing that the legalists and the Gnostics were doing to the Colossian church? And so it's a serious question for us to ask ourselves. God, have I done this? And if so, we have the opportunity today to come back to Jesus Christ again.